Finding Happy, Seven Steps to Relationships That Will Not Steal Your Joy is the new book by me, Nikita Banks, a licensed psychotherapist and life strategist. Leverage the knowledge you'll receive in this book to help you with the process of obtaining absolute clarity through the use of guided self-exploration. This process is necessary to help you master all your relationships in 2019 and beyond. Go on Amazon.com or BlackTherapistPodcast.com and grab your copy of the book guaranteed to help you redesign all your relationships based on two basic principles, health and happiness. Get your copy today. Welcome to the Black Therapist Podcast. The Black Therapist Podcast is the podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. Now, if you are new to our show, I am your host, author, life strategist, and psychotherapist, Nikita Banks, in private practice in my hometown of Brooklyn, New York. I am available for both psychotherapy and coaching sessions, and you can find more information about that on my website, NikitaBanks.com. You can listen to our podcast everywhere podcasts are found, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, SoundCloud, Pippa, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and BlackTherapistPodcast.com. If you are a mental health advocate or therapist and you want to buy our podcast merchandise, you can do so by visiting our site. And if you want access to our free mental health tips, free online trainings, discounted selective services, and resources, do so by joining our mailing list by texting "get happy" all one word to six six eight six six. If you love the podcast, please like, comment, and share. We love to hear from you. And if you want to send me some feedback, guest suggestions, or simply to say hey, you can contact us at our website, BlackTherapistPodcast.com. Please be mindful that this episode and all of the information that we provide here is just a resource and a tool to help get you started on your mental health journey. If you are feeling any mental health distress or you are having any significant issues, please feel free to reach out to us so that we can find you a mental health provider in your area. Okay, let's go. Hey, hey, hey. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm tired. <laughs> I hope you guys are listening to this in the daytime. I'm recording it at nighttime. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. I've been trying to hold it together and like be a good sport. Um, I want to try to give you guys another show, maybe two <laughs> before the end of the year. But um, I've been exhausted lately. Um, I think I told you guys last week, I'm trying to, y- y'all know I try to count my ums. I think I told you guys on the last episode that I had a death, a really good friend of mine died. Shout out to Vernard Poopman Lohorn. Um, if you've been in Brooklyn or you're from Brooklyn, then you know that we're a really tight knit family. It doesn't feel like it. Like, okay, so I lived in Bed-Stuy for the majority of my childhood. But I kind of lived all over Brooklyn, which is not like, it's not really a thing that people do in Brooklyn. Like, you you, you pick your side. I'm from Bed-Stuy. I rep Bed-Stuy. That is what it is. But most of my dirt, I didn't flap. Most of it, right? And so, you know, me having the option of not going to high school in New York because I went to high school in Alexandria, Virginia. When I moved back to New York with my high school diploma, 
I was wild for the night. So it was like running the streets. I, I partied, I hung out. And so, you know, meeting Poop Man, I was calling by his real name, but I've, I think I've, I've just found out his real name, you know, at the services. But, um, like, you know, knowing him over damn past 20 plus my son my kid is 22 so I've, I probably had to meet him a long time ago um gosh when I was 18 I met him and so you know just knowing him over 20 plus years has been a pleasure but you know when you love somebody and you know the people that you know that know them love that person but you don't know how deep and how far and how wide that love goes and so you know just over the last week of going to his services it, it just was it was really like a Flatbush reunion um I always I always like joke that New York is like a big old or Brooklyn Brooklyn is like a big old high school and I know people outside of Brooklyn but we rep our neighborhoods really 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 tough and so for me to have been able to like, you know, gone to Bed-Stuy and like hang out in Flatbush and like go to East New York and like go to Brownsville and like be in Williamsburg, not a lot. Definitely, um, you know, be in, where did, where did, Bushwick, Ugh. be in Bushwick. Because I lived on the border of, like, Bed-Stuy and Bushwick, so I kind of got that, that twofer. Um, and so being from all of those neighborhoods and being able to, like, go in all of those neighborhoods and be good in every hood that I went to was, uh, like, a rarity for me and especially for a girl. And I, didn't, I never had, like, a reputation, like, a bad one. Um, people knew who I was by sight. They may have known my name, but, like... You know, I remember my son's dad saying, oh, I don't trust you. I don't know what you're out there doing, but I will never hear anything about you. And I was like, that's the point, yo. If there are no witnesses, there's no crime. So, <laughs> but like being, being at his services and going to see how everybody loved him and how he had that same exact love, you know, having the services in Flatbush and seeing everybody from all over Brooklyn come out and show him love. Like the church was packed to the gills standing room only it felt like a high school reunion it felt like going home it felt like love and it was so crazy because I wasn't gonna go to the repast which was the next day but I was like dad you know what? if anybody deserved a real celebration of life and a party it was him and so it's definitely gonna be missed um, by everybody who knew him, definitely by me. And so just to kind of have him pass, be, to, to die um, suddenly last week was a lot. But as I'm recovering from that passing, I, I found out yesterday that someone else I know um, passed away. So shout out to George Harris. And it's so crazy because I still remember the day me and George probably when I was like 18, 19 downtown in Macy's, um, Brooklyn doing, I was up to no good and I'm gonna leave it at that. But I met George and I was just like shell shocked. George has always been a fashion guy. He's always been like fly and, 
you know, as the legend goes, because I don't remember what I had on, but they would always tell me, yo, you had on like a hockey jersey and it was like the first person to ever see to wear like a hockey jersey before Mary J. Blige, before any of the people that wore it back in the days. And I had on my hockey jersey down downtown. And I want to say I got that probably got that hockey jersey the day before I got it from Macy's downtown Brooklyn. I remember that. Um, and I didn't pay for it and we're going to leave it at that, but <laughs> it was a long time ago. And so to see that, to come home recovering from, you know, going to, uh, pool services and then coming home to that, I was just like, God, I'm drained and I needed to stop over the last, since October, since, since, since Halloween, like I've been surrounded by people who have had real significant losses. My friend, you know, lost his his son's mother and um, her, you know, new fiance was murdered in front of their children. I had dealing with clients who had, you know, family members, multiple killed, come to find out last week. I mean, as I was at the services for, for pool, you know, someone else that I grew up with got sh- got shot, um, like right after I saw him. And so, being a therapist and making space for other people who are sad when you are sad is a really difficult thing to do. And so, I'm grateful to be able to structure my day and my life around my mood, um, and have money that my bills will be paid and do exactly what I needed to do. Today I had to like gather myself and be like, all right, I'm gonna go to work and see my patients so that I can have a lighter week for the rest of the week. And I'm taking a week off for Christmas. So I don't know if there will or will not be a show, um, in the week between Christmas and New Year's, I probably will try to do a show. But, um, yeah, I need some time off and I have a vacation coming up in the first of the year, which I'm hoping will be a real vacation because I'm going to Africa for the first time visiting the continent. So I'm very excited about that to, to spend some time with some friends for their wedding. Um, my friend Monique is getting married. And so I'm trying my best not to be burnt out. And as I told you, I've kind of been neglecting my health a little bit and I've been a little lackadaisical on on some aspects of my my business, because when you're doing this, that and the third, and you're trying to be everything to everybody, you don't take the time to like put your own mask on and be in tune with what you need. And a lot of what I'm dealing with in my practice and in my personal life with my friends who have either gone through this and like, you know, even now in the grief cycle of all of the friends that I know who knows the people who passed away or passed away recently, like some of those people are looking towards me because they know what I do and they're assuming, I would assume that this is what being a minister would be like in this position where people would just assume that, you know, the right thing to say and the right thing to do. And I'm like, I want to deal with 
your grief, but I don't want to be a professional right now. I just want to be somebody who lost my friend. Um, I just want to get a hug and like somebody to pat me on my back and tell me that everything is going to be all right right now. Like I don't want to be the one to have to give in this moment. And I think sometimes being selfish in your own grief is necessary. And I've been trying to convince that too some of the friends that I have around me, it feels like everyone around me has lost somebody. And so in the the moments where I have, you know, usual people that I can go to and be like, oh my God, I'm sad. I'm going through this. I'm, I'm, I've lost. I am lost. I feel lost. I have lost someone. Not having that person around you or having that person that, that checks in on you or that person that you can go to is, has been really difficult. But like I said, everybody around me is dealing with this. And then there are the folks that are around me, whether in my practice or outside of my practice in my personal life, who've been dealing with this where they've lost children. I don't, I can't even begin to like know where to create a dialogue that could even be helpful. Um, and so this week, I'm going to just jump right into the stages of grief because I know that it may be helpful for someone to hear if they're going through this right now. Uh, this will probably be a short show. I have other things that I want to get to. Um, definitely thank yous for the people who have supported my toy drive this year. And I'm going to give you guys shout outs at the end of the show. I really wanted to do that at the beginning of the show, but I'm like, I'm in my feelings. So you have to like, excuse me. Shock and denial is the first stage of, of grief. And that's really where I am right now. It's just, just, you know, feeling numb and not believing that the person isn't in the physical anymore. You know, denying reality of the loss at some level in order to avoid pain. Shock provides emotional protection from being overwhelmed all at once. And that that kind of may last for weeks. And with me, when I lost my father, I I kind of built in some protection for and I, I tell this to my son, like, you know, there's a reason that I didn't identify my dad's body and um, and why I refused to look at him and why he I had him cremated. Number one, I paid for it, so I had the right to do whatever I wanted to do with him. Um, number two, he and I had already discussed what plans he had for his death, and he had already already told me to do whatever I wanted to do uh, with him and his remains and uh, do it the cheapest, expeditious way possible. Um, that's not exactly what he said. He basically, he told me to get a hefty bag and throw him by the side of the road, but clearly that's not a real thing. So, um, yeah, I've tricked myself into thinking that my father is not dead because I never saw a body and it was just kind of, it's the, the way that I can process it in my mind to like that. He's not here, but he's still here. Pain and guilt as shock. The shock wears off, it's replaced with the suffering of unbelievable pain. Although excruciating and almost unbearable, it is important that you experience the pain fully and not hide it, avoid it, or escape from it with alcohol or drugs. Um, I'm not really sure if everybody feels pain and guilt or pain or guilt. I don't think you need to have both, but I think it really depends on 
your relationship with the person. And I think it depends on your level of peace and being in good standing. So with me and my dad, um, and I can only really talk about my father passing away as like the, a major significant death to me. He's the closest person that I ever knew who passed away outside of my cousin, Michelle, who was my best friend. Um, and I did have pain when the both of them passed away. I did not have any guilt. I wasn't guilty. I didn't feel guilty. So I don't know if that's a, that's a thing that people have. I think depending on the circumstances, you may have to deal with that. Uh, says you may have guilty feelings or remorse over things you did or didn't do with your loved ones. Life feels chaotic and scary during this phase. I guess I, so with Michelle, when right before she passed away, I hope I'm not bringing you guys down talking about death. If some of you guys are going through this, it may be helpful for you to hear. I I think I'm just trying to like rationalize what I'm feeling and like trying to get in tune with my own feelings right now, because I kind of, I, I feel numb. Like at poop man services, I was just like going through the, um, the motions of like one minute feeling happy that I was around all of my friends and that everybody came through and I was just riding the wave of the love that everybody had for him and how we all loved each other but I was also filled with sadness knowing that it would probably take another funeral in order for me to see a lot of these people again it also made me feel sad that I know that I probably won't see them again some of them like that was just kind of like a never gonna see again then they were like you know reality tv stars and rappers and like family members and like celebrity djs that were there that i was like hey i could speak to that maybe i won't see i won't say i won't see them again because i've seen them like a lot but like there were other people there that i got to see and talk to that i may not have a chance to speak to every day um but yeah I, then i was crying and then I was like running in the bathroom because I was crying and nobody else was crying. And then I broke my nail. Like it was a lot going on. So I just feel like I want to kind of like process my feelings. And I felt like it was, it I was okay with everything that transpired. I wished I could remember the last time he and I spoke. Um, although I hear him calling my name out loud and yelling at me for not coming to one of the events that he had. Um, and just kind of feeling like, all right, I'm processing that loss. And then to come home the within 24 hours, hearing that another one of my friends passed away for like the same thing, I, you know, diabetes is killing us. Like what we're eating is killing us. Not taking care of ourselves is killing us. It's just like crazy. So I hope I'm not bringing you down, but I'm just dealing with my feelings right now. The third stage is anger and bargaining frustration gives way to to anger you may lash out and lay unwarranted blame for the death on on someone else please try to control this as permanent damage to your relationships may result this is the time for the release of bottled up emotion you may rail against fate questioning why me why them why us 
you try to bargain in vain with the powers that be for a way out of your despair. Um, I will never drink again if you just bring him back. I will never do this if you bring him back. Um, if you take this pain away from me, you know, I'll be a better person. Anger and bargaining is not really anger is something that I see though. And there's if any time there's a funeral at my in my family, there's always a fight. Like I don't think I've ever been outside of this one here. I don't think I've ever been to a funeral where there hasn't been a fight or like bad behavior, um, or somebody's not cursed out. But my family's so strange. Like if there's a death in my family, usually we're we're laughing and joking. So the way we deal with it is anger makes most of us. Nah, we like being angry. I was going to say anger makes most of us uncomfortable. But uncomfortable feelings make most of us uncomfortable. The fourth stage is depression, reflection, and loneliness. So just when your friends may think you should be getting on with your life, a long period of sad reflection will likely take over you. This is normal stages of grief. So do not be talked out of it by well-meaning outsiders. Encouragement from others is not helpful to you during this stage of grieving. During this side... This time you finally realize the true magnitude of your loss and it depresses you. You may isolate yourself on purpose, reflect on things you did with the love, your loved one and focus on memories of the past. You may sense feelings of emptiness or despair. I know for a lot of parents that I've counseled who have lost children, this is the hardest time for them. They feel really, really guilty that they have other living children that they should be taking care of. They feel really, really bad that everybody else is getting on with their lives and they feel like they should be getting over it. Oh, it's been a year since, you know, so-and-so passed away. I feel like I should be getting you know, getting better, but I, I don't feel any better. And then I don't want to be around people who are... I guess this is the guilty part. I don't want to be around people who who are happy and then I'm happy for a moment. And then I think to myself, well, I'm no longer sad about losing, you know, whoever my loved one is. Do I not miss them? And then you feel guilty and then the guilt makes you feel sad all over again. And it's it's really just a death of a dream of the time that you spend with them. But I also believe that... Th- Okay, so yeah, there is a guilt. <laughs> I also think that that guilty part that a lot of people feel that is never ever talked about is really just us missing the person and wanting us to be here. I'm really sad that my friend George is no longer here. Um, he's a really, really good person, and but he suffered a long time with diabetes. He had a lot of health issues. And so part of me wants to just be like, I'm glad he's no longer suffering, but I cannot imagine living in a world where I won't see a smile again. I can't imagine not speaking to him again. And as we get older, like it's, it's part of life. It's the thing that we were like, damn, I'm never gonna see these people again. Like I could go outside and never come home. It's a very scary thought. I'm not afraid of death, um, my own, but I'm definitely afraid to be left behind by somebody that I love and not being able to deal with the emotions of it and not being able to 
not be consumed by the grief of the loss. Like that's a real fear for me. Um, I can't imagine mothers who lose children and uh, I don't even want to like wrap my brain around that because I don't think that that's a sad, a level of sadness that I could ever come back from. So I think a lot of that guilt that comes for most of us is just when we know our loved ones suffered a lot, just missing them. And when my cousin, who, Michelle, who was my best friend when she died, I remember in the weeks before she passed away, she had a really long illness and she called me randomly and by mistake. And she was like, um, well, what happened was I'll just tell the story. My sister was at my house that week and, oh, well, I guess I did deal with grief. Yeah. I mean, guilt. What happened was, is we, so she had decided the week but two weeks before she passed away or however long it was before she went in the hospital the final time that we would all go to see the, the go to the universal circus right and so she got tickets for everybody to go I have no idea why so everybody went except for me because my son and his school had tickets to go the following week and so um, I was trying to talk her out of going that week because I'm like, why would you want to go this week? Go, let's go next week, whatever. And she was like, nope, I'm going this week. So I was like, I'm not going because I already have tickets. And what ended up happening was everyone went to the circus but me and my son. But I went over the house before they went to the circus. So I got to see everybody before they went. I just didn't physically go to the circus with them. And so... um my sister didn't live in New York at the time. She had come up to New York. The kids, they all went to the circus. I didn't go. Um, my cousin called me on the phone. I feel like I'm telling two different stories. My cousin called me on the phone, who's Michelle. And she was like, I, um, she, I, she was looking for my sister. And I was like, she's not here. And she was like, she's, I didn't call you. I'm telling this all wrong. I think I'm in my feelings. Let me gather myself. What happened was, is that, my phone ring. I didn't answer it in time. I start 69. Actually, I didn't have to start 69, but I start 69, right? But I could see on the caller ID that she called when I saw because she called the house phone. When I dialed it back, star 69 or however I did it, she answered the phone and she was out of it. And when she answered the phone, I said, she's not here. Cause I assumed she just was looking for my sister. She left already. She's not here. And she was like, who? And I said, you know, my sister's name. What do you mean? Who? She's not here. She's not here. Um, you just called me. And she was like, I didn't call you. And I was like, yes, you did. You just called me. And she was like, I didn't. And I was like, are you okay? And she said, no. And I said, I'm coming to get you. And I remember studying for a test. But I packed her, I, I got up, I went to her house, um, I packed her kids up, put them in the car, dropped them off to my cousin's house, and I took her to the hospital. And I just remember laying in the hospital bed with her, with her and saying, um, it's okay if you don't, if you don't want to be here anymore I'm gonna miss you I just kept saying it over and over and over again and I kept saying I'm not I don't know what I'm gonna do when you're gone 
Like I can't, I, like I, you, like you can't really. I know you can't stay for me, but you can't leave me. <laughs> That's cute. what I was saying to her. It's like I'm very selfish and self-aware in the moment, but I was like, you can't stay for me, but you, but and I, I don't want you to leave me. And so, um, what happened in the weeks prior to that? She and I had gotten. She was sick before another time, and we were talking, and she was like, "I'm tired. I'm tired." I'm tired. And I was like, go to sleep. And she was like, no, I'm tired. And I was like, what you mean you tired? And she was like, I'm tired. I'm tired of being sick. I'm tired of doing this. And I was like, um, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know what you're going through, but I love you. And she said, I know. I said, um, so I just, I remember telling her I loved her and that I can't hold her and that, but it would be selfish of me to want her to stay for me, but I wanted her to stay for me. (laughs) Um, And that, you know, we both believe in God. And if she believed that God could take the pain away from her, I wanted God to take the pain away from her. And I said, if you are ready and you're, you're preparing to transition, then let's make peace with that. I was young too, when we had this conversation. But I just kept saying, I love you. I don't want you to leave me. I don't know what I'm going to do without you. And it was kind of like, I lost my dad. My dad was hurt, but it was sudden. Like, I never, I didn't prepare to lose my father. So I just had to deal with him, at, like, him not being here. But I was acutely aware when my cousin passed away that I, it was selfish of me to want her to stay but I was being selfish and being able to like talk to her about that and knowing that she was tired and knowing that her spirit was getting weary and knowing that she had taken all that she could possibly take physically and mentally it made it easier for me But when she did transition, it was really difficult for the family because she was our rock. And I think for me, being in tune with my feelings, it isolated me from everybody else in the family because people kind of had to deal with their own feelings and create spaces for their own feelings. And I felt when she passed away, no one... um, People weren't respectful of the fact that other people had independent relationships with her. And although my loss wasn't her mother's loss or her sister's loss or her aunt's or uncle's loss or her daughter's loss or her, you know, family loss or whomever loved her loss or best friend, whomever, my loss was my loss. And like I could create space for what they were feeling, but also demand respect for what I was feeling as well and I think that that was that was really hard for us to come back from as a family and she for for a young woman she was like big mama for all of us she gathered us and got us all in line and so having that loss of that glue um it really did something to all of us and broke a spirit. And it kind of felt like that at the the services for my friend last, I mean, you know, this week I, I kept feeling like, damn, I would love to have a send off like this. We were like, we were partying though, but just like, 
it was it was sad that we missed him and the gaping hole that he left in the community but damn yo he did his time and made the most out of it and we all loved him and was grateful that we all got to know him so it wasn't sad and I felt that when my cousin passed away I also kind of felt that when my dad passed away not for that reason because his impact on the world was different and you could take leave it or leave it take it or leave it at, at that um so yeah definitely I'm in a reflective period definitely um when my cousin died I battled a lot of loneliness I'm talking about the fourth state of stage of depression but um yeah the guilt that I had was that I didn't go to kind of that I didn't go to the circus with the guy them them well no I say kind of because I didn't regret not going to the circus because I don't like the circus really but when I end up going to the circus with my son that (laughs) that week that she passed away I cried like a baby at the circus. I will never in my entire life go back to the Universal Circus ever again because of it. Just like a real bad memory for me. Stage five is the upward turn. As you start to adjust to life without your dear loved one, your life becomes a little calmer and more organized. Your physical symptoms lessen and your depression begins to lift slightly. After that is reconstruction and working through. As you become more functional, your mind starts to work again and you will find yourself seeking realistic solutions to problems posed by life without your loved one. You'll start to work on practical and financial problems and restructuring yourself. And your life without him or her. I also think in that restructuring uh, period, what happens for a lot of us is that we we gain activism. We want to find meaning in the loss and find meaning in the person's life. If they died in a way that defies logic, gun violence, um, you know, racial strife a disease, whatever it is, like we, we, we want to get active in that reconstruction and working through period. We really just kind of want to make sense of the senseless by through, through altruistic expressions of love and kind of keeping that person's memory going. The last stages are acceptance and hope. During this, the last seven stages in the grief model, you learn to accept and deal with the reality of your situation. Acceptance does not mean instant happiness, but you will start to look up. For a particular family that I'm working with right now, there's a baby that's coming soon, and I try to try to work with the family to think about the new beginnings. And it's very, very difficult. It's, it's holiday season. It's Christmas time, you know, for my friend who lost his child's mother, for this to be the first Christmas without his mom is going to be very difficult. The holiday seasons are going to be, season is going to be very difficult for anybody who lost something. For me, my dad's birthday is three days after 
Christmas. And so it, I already, somebody booked a therapy session on my father's birthday. I was like, I'm not working on my dad's birthday. I don't know how I feel now or if I'm going to feel good on that day, but maybe I'll just sit in the house and have a drink or like read the scripture or go outside or like go on a date or do something, whatever it is. Like maybe I don't want to make space for anybody else's feelings on my father's birthday this year. And so being able to kind of know what I need and put limits in place so that I can be okay when I need to be okay and not create space for feelings of anybody else's besides my own and being selfish is a necessary thing. And for for me and the other caregivers out there, the other strong ones, the people who are holding it together for their family members who are not emotionally equipped, you don't have to be strong throughout this. You don't have to be the strong one. You don't have to be the one who is keeping it all together for everybody. You don't have to do any of that because in the quiet moments of the night and of the day and in the recesses of your mind, when you are holding it together for everybody else, eventually you will break down and that's okay. Like my friend, when he told me that his son's mother was murdered, he sounds so regular. And I was like, bro, you are not regular. Like, I know what you focused on right now is like, taking care of your son and like getting your ducks in a row and taking care of the family and making sure you do what you got to do and being a responsible man and all of this, but bro, you ain't okay. And it's okay not to be okay. But, and even if you are okay now, right. Cause you busy. We, we, we get bogged down with that busyness in the beginning of like, Oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. And I got to plan a service and I got to get a suit and I got to get a this and you know what I mean? Like you, you going, 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 going. Eventually you stop moving. And I kept saying to him, yo, either you're going to take a minute to catch your breath and sit down or God's going to sit you down and you got to be prepared. Like while you're moving right now and you being a busy bee, bro, take care of, of your plan for what's going to happen when you break down. Cause break the breakdown is coming and it's okay. Whether that's you just call me, whether that's you find you a therapist, whether that's you find somebody else, like the breakdown is coming and you, you cannot break down while your son is breaking down. Like you could maybe take turns, but you got to be strong for him in those moments. So you got to figure it out. So right now, while you're in the planning stages of doing everything and being everything for everybody, you start to plan right now for your breakdown because life is going to get quiet in a minute and the funeral passes and the repasses and everybody stops coming by the house and eventually life moves on. And this is New York. I live in New York, Brooklyn. Life goes by real quick and real fast and in a hurry. And we forget about each other. And if you're the strong one and you're the strong friend, nobody checks on you. People still calling my phone right now, even though I'm like, yo, I'm dealing with grief issues. People still calling my phone like, yo, I need this. I'm not, I can't answer my phone for everybody right now because I have to take care of me. And I feel bad because I've been like speaking to my son about it. Like, yo, I'm really sad today. So if you are going through the holidays without a loved one, if you are dealing with the stages of grief, just know things get better. Um, 
and yeah shout out to my to my friends that I've I've lost but the ones that are here um I love you and I definitely want to try to make more time to spend with my friends and my family and I also know that life is too short there are a lot of things that I've been putting off the things that I want to do plans and things that I have for my life and you know, visions that God has given me to execute. And I haven't really been doing those things to the hundred percent. So this is just kind of giving me a kick in the ass to be like, yo, you don't want to leave here without fulfilling your mission, son. So you better get on out there and do what you got to do. So if you are out there and you are listening, God has given you a vision for your life and you bullshitting and lollygagging. Like there's no time like the present to, to get on those things and it's it's a new year coming and it's a new day coming and it's not an excuse anymore to not have any resources or information or know how or skills to do whatever it is that you want to do because you know we all have our computers and we have our phones and we have everything so we have what we need okay and if you don't have what you need get yourself a therapist or a coach and let them assist you I have been doing a, I've been, I'm doing long pauses. I've been doing a toy drive for the past five years. I said this last week, um, cause I'm going to end on a high note and, um, I've been doing this toy drive for the past five years, five or five or six years. I lose count. I believe, I believe six years, but five years, the last two years I funded it myself. I bought all of the toys. Usually we buy toys for about 40 or 50 kids in the domestic violence shelter that I used to work at. And this year I decided to create a target registry and share it on the show and then share it on my social media and I swear I didn't even post it on my Instagram page as you know I haven't been that active on Instagram because Instagram sometimes wears me out but um I shared it on my social and I think I I did it I made the registry on Sunday when I do the show I posted it on Monday by Wednesday we were like almost all sold out so I just want to give a shout out to everybody who purchased the toys Cynthia Riggins woo, hey girl Shanti Sale who I went to high school with uh Cody Hamilton I'm not even looking at it but I know that you bought because you're my family and I saw the receipts um Carissa Grant from Chandler Arizona I don't even know you sis but thanks um some people gave anonymously I don't have everybody that gave this is just what came in the mail Jessalyn Marshall of Tennessee thanks Jessalyn uh who else Carissa sent something else Teresa Wetfield from Cali Hey, cuz. Uh, Cody from North Carolina. That's my family. Who else? Ooh. Okay. Jessica Condias. I hope I said that right. From Douglasville, Georgia. And more. Some people pledged to buy toys that maybe I haven't gotten yet. Literally left my office on Saturday. I locked up the office and <laughs> the the postman was coming there and I was like, I think those boxes are for me because they were from Target and he was like, black therapist and I was like, that's me. 
So everybody that bought for the kids in the domestic violence shelter, and I have your toys. If I didn't get to your toy this week, I should have them next week. I will give you a shout out. Uh, but yeah, in like three days, you guys bought over 50 toys for uh, our toy drive. And I think maybe there's a few things left if you want to go on the Target registry to get it. At this point, you guys bought, bought uh, a lot of the toys that we wanted. There are a few things left. Like I said, I'm going to buy whatever is left on the list. But before that, I'm going to hit up a few guys that I know have um, and see if they what some people have already pledged to buy things for the the toy drive. And actually, I told some people not to buy, but, you know, um, I'm going to circle back around it because there were a few more things to buy. And there are guys in men in the shelter who are domestic violence victims. I'm trying to figure out something to buy for them as well as the women who are, are there. So that's what I'm going to do this week. Probably try to go get something for the women and the men that are there. Usually I just buy for the kids, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to splurge a little cause you guys help me out. So I have a few, few coins in my pocket that I can make Christmas good for some of the adults that are there as well. Cause some of them feel forgotten. Okay, so this has been another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. I've hoped throughout the year, if you've been listening to the shows that have been a blessing to you, um, pay it forward. You, my friend, Poop Man, as well as George. George, he taught chess in our school systems. He was the one of the flyest dudes I've ever known in terms of like fashion and styling. Like these were givers; they were talented people. If you came home from jail, Poop Man made sure you had money. He made sure you had food. He he took care of your kids. Like, that funeral was, his services was an inspiration and something to aspire to. And it reminded me of the giving spirit that I have, but it also reminded me that this is a community. I come from a community of givers. I come from a community of doers. I come from a community of lovers who love our people and we do what we got to do to make sure that we are making, making a difference in life. And there were things that he did that they both did and energies, positive, um, messages in the bottle, love letters in a bottle that they sent out into the universe that I didn't even know that they sent of just the things and the gifts that they bestowed upon everybody else. So if you are somewhere right now and you have some friends or family, if you can't give to my to our toy drive, I don't care, but just give back in the way that you can with somebody, whether it's just a simple act of kindness, whether it's a random random compliment of somebody, a swipe on the Metro card. Don't do that in New York because you might get arrested, but <laughs> just some, a random act of kindness that you could do for somebody right now to just let them know that they are loved. It's holiday time. There are people out there without families. There's people out there without homes. There's people out there without food. Um, And so just do what you can to spread love where you are this holiday season let the people you know that you know and that you love make sure they feel that shit okay i'm gonna go it's been another 
episode of Black Therapist Podcast. I love you guys. I appreciate you guys for rocking with me and supporting my mission. Be well. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, you can follow us on all our social media sites at Black Therapist Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter, as well as Black in Therapy on Facebook. Or you can follow your host, me, Miss M-S-N-I-K-I, thanks, on Instagram and Twitter, as well as you can find out any information about me at Nikita, N-I-K-I-T-A, banks.com, and on the show's website, Black Therapist therapistpodcast.com and don't forget if you want to send us any general feedback show suggestions uh, show topics or guest ideas please feel free to drop us an email at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com thank you be well